Our Christian culture is strong because God meant for us to be multi-generational. What did he say in Deuteronomy? Teach your children and your children's children. And he said in Titus, older women, teach younger women to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, and lovers of their husbands. And why did Paul say that? He said it so that the word of God would be not blasphemed. He didn't take a break from doctrine to talk about this and then go back to doctrine. No, the whole book of Titus is doctrine. Being a good wife and mother is doctrine. Don't make a mistake there. If you have your Bibles with you, we are taking a short departure from the book of Acts, and we will be in 2 Kings chapter 4, the first seven verses. 2 Kings chapter 4, the first seven verses, so if you could turn there, I would very much appreciate it. And as we turn there, we see a story that may not, at first blush, seem like a Mother's Day story, but I think there's some principles for motherhood in this passage. And I've titled this message, Godly Wisdom on Motherhood from a Widow. So the background of this passage is that this widow is crying out to Elisha for the livelihood of her children. And we know that mothers care about their children. Um, As I mentioned earlier during the breaking of bread, my mother was instrumental in leading me to the Lord Jesus, and so I'm grateful for her. My father as well, but it was at my mother's knee that I made that eternal decision and passed from death to life. And I'm so grateful for that. Let's just open in a quick word of prayer and give this time to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your Son. We thank you for his love for children. And Lord, we ask that you would be with all of the mothers among us today, and even those who are not. And Lord, you've said out of the mouths of babes and sucklings have you ordained strength. So it could just be possible that an unbelieving mother would be won by their believing children. And Lord, we would we would pray for that. Lord, I pray for divine protection and courage for the Supreme Court as they face this challenge. And I pray that you would open blinded eyes in our country and send a revival so that they would no longer be calling for the blood of these innocent children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're going to begin by reading just the first two verses. And my first point, if you're taking notes, is a godly mother seeks God. If you have the privilege of having a mother who has sought God, then you know what a wonderful blessing that is. I know that my mother is one who prays for her children and cares for us, and as I said, shares with us the gospel. So reading in... 
2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we read, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. So, the first thing that we notice here is that this widow was uh, had the privilege of being married to a man of God. And she goes to Elijah, the prophet of God, and she says, You know that my husband was a man of God. And now, these creditors are coming after us because we owe a great debt. And he says he's going to make my son slaves. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish culture, a woman relied on her sons if her husband was not around to take care of her. That is one of the reasons why we see Jesus raise the son from the dead um, at the funeral was because she needed that son to survive. And so Elijah says, what shall I do for thee? What do you have in the house? Isn't it significant that God, even though he could just speak things into existence, Elisha could have prayed to God and said, God, relieve this woman of the debt, and God could have chosen to automatically relieve this woman of the debt. He put gold in a fish's mouth, after all. He could have done that. But he doesn't do that. If you look at what Jesus does, he wants us to work with him to fulfill his will. Remember the loaves and the fishes. Five loaves, two fishes, young boy's lunch. And Jesus took it and fed 5,000 people. So he often takes what we have, what little it may be, and uses it for his honor and glory. And so she says, I have nothing in the house except for a pot of oil. God can only use us when we come to the end of our resources. If we think that we're doing okay, if we think that we can do it on our own, he'll let us try until we fall flat on our face, and then he's there to remind us that we can't do it all on our own. I'm reminded of a time when I was working at a summer camp, and I actually got the call to report uh, half a week early because they wanted me to work extra that summer. This was the summer of 2004. And two days before I'm supposed to go to camp, my wheelchair breaks down. And I debated whether to tell them I couldn't work, but I ended up going anyway, and I had a really fulfilling summer, even though it was frustrating, because I got to uh, experience the humility that it takes to be served by other people, and I got to be a vehicle of teaching others about service. And it still sticks in my head as one of my favorite summers at that camp, despite the fact of that challenge. So God often brings us to the end of ourselves 
before he acts. And I want us to be reminded of another time when God took a little and made it a lot. If someone could look up for me, John 6, verses 5 to 7. John 6, verses 5 to 7. If somebody gets there, if they could stand and read it for us, that would be amazing. And Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company unto him. He said unto Philip, What shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove it, for he, he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Um, can you read the next verse, I think? One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, uh, read read until um, we get to the end of this feeding. I must have left a few verses off. Okay, so verse 9, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise in the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled all baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves which remained over, and above unto them that had eaten. When those men went in heads, See the miracle that Jesus did said, This is of the truth, that prophet that should come into the world. So Jesus does this miracle. He feeds 5,000 people. And after they've all eaten to the full, so basically an all-you-can-eat buffet, they picked up the leftovers and there were 12 baskets left over. How many disciples were following him everywhere that those days? 12. There was a basket for each disciple. Jesus not only provided what was needed on that day, but he provided for the future. We serve a God who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And we'll see that, that come out of this story as we continue on. I just wanted to share with you this, this story that I found. Charles Spurgeon said, I cannot tell how much I owe to the prayers of my good mother. I remember her once praying, Now, Lord, if my children go on in sin, it will not be from ignorance that they perish, and my soul must bear swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold on Christ and claim him as their personal Savior. So Charles Spurgeon's mother knew that her kids needed to make a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus, and she prayed to that end. So we have this situation. She's desperate. She only has a pot of oil. So what's the next thing we learn about a godly mother? A godly mother listens to God. Point number two, 1 Kings, or 2 Kings 4 Three and four. Second Kings four, three and four. 
Then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into the, all the vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she has this little jar of oil, and it is a very little jar from my understanding, like just a one or two use little jar of oil that they would keep um, uh, usually for anointing for some reason seem to imply some sort of medicinal um, so it was not a big jar of oil by any means but he says gather as many vessels as you can find and then come in and shut the door upon you and upon your son so the sons are involved here and pour out into all these vessels and set aside that which is full. So he gives her instruction. Now, when God gives us instruction, we have two choices. Either we can follow that instruction or we can say, Hey, God, um, I'm not sure if this makes any sense. I'm not going to do it. Remember Naaman, when he was told to dip in the Jordan seven times, he said, there's no way I'm going to do it. He was mad, and his servant respectfully said, my father, if he asked you some big thing to do, wouldn't you have done it? Maybe you should do this small thing. And then, of course, after he had dipped seven times, he came out and his baby his skin was like the skin of a baby. New skin. Healed. You know, I, I tend to believe that when he did the sixth dip, he had the same amount of leprosy as when he did the first dip. But when he dipped the seventh time, he was healed. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, completely healed. And he turned to the living God that day because he said, please pardon me when I help my king kneel before the idol because I will not be kneeling but I need to continue to serve the king and so she is listening and, and taking in what this man of God said can we look by way of cross reference at John chapter 2 verses 5 to 10 John 2 5 to 10 mother said to the servants do whatever he tells you now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And Jesus said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now, he came blind and did not know where it came from, though the servants were drawn with water. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So think about this. These, these jars could hold a total of 180 gallons of water. And Jesus told them to fill them to the brim. And then he said, 
take some and give it to the master of the house. He didn't say, look, now it's wine. Take some and give it to the master of the house. He said, take some and give it to the master of the house. Now, we don't know at what point this water became wine, but I have to wonder if it didn't become wine until the master of the house picked it up to sip it. Because it says that the people that drew out the water knew that it was water. Can you imagine being there that day? And you're like scared to death because you're bringing this cup of water to the steward of the wedding. And then he tastes it and says it's the best wine ever. This is the type of miracle that God does. And he's proving that he is... God and that he is able to do what we need him to do. But one of the most significant things about that story is that Mary asks him to intercede. He said, my time has not yet come. And she doesn't know what that means. She doesn't know if he's actually going to intervene. But she turns to the servants there and says, whatever he says to you, do it. Because she believes that whatever Jesus says will be the right thing. And I want to be the type of person that whatever Jesus says to me, I will do it. And I am thankful for the mothers who are committed to saying whatever Jesus says, we will do it. So what an example we see from the mother of Jesus. Lord Sandy of the Navigators once wrote of his mother, My mother gave birth to me in a frontier house on a Midwestern prairie. On the kitchen counter, she placed a list of the ingredients necessary for my formula. At the top of the list was prayer, and that reminded her, that remained at the top of her list for me throughout her life. I have her to thank for firmly establishing my spiritual roots. Today in the Word. The world would say to you that unless you're out pursuing a career, you are just a mother. But I'm thankful for a mother who stayed home and raised and launched 11 arrows from her home. She raised us to be world changers for Jesus Christ. And every success that I have for the kingdom of God, she gets credit for. Because it's the foundation that she laid that has me here today. She believes in me. She prays for me. And I'm so very thankful. So my third point is a godly mother models obedience. We must model the things that we want our children to do. There, there is this old saying, and my dad would sometimes say it, do as I say, not as I do. As a child, I particularly remember this in reference to eating in the living room in front of the TV. Sometimes he would do that, and we would follow his example, and my mom would call us back to the table and say, just because he's doing it doesn't mean you get to. But I'll tell you, an example works much better than words. I believe in the power of the Bible because I saw my parents model that the Bible had power. I believe in the power of Jesus because I saw my parents, whether 
two huge storms in their marriage that would have decimated a lot of marriage. They say that 80% of couples that have a child that is profoundly disabled, their marriage ends in divorce. My parents are still together. They just celebrated their 44th wedding anniversary by the grace of God. I don't know what the percentage is, but the percentage is really high if you lose a child. Because no parent should have to bury a child. That doesn't make sense on the human scheme of things. My little brother John Michael should have been there to bury me. That's how life should have worked. But that wasn't what God decided. But I watched my parents weather that storm and instead of letting it draw them apart, they let it push them together. And because they weathered that storm, they're able to encourage other couples who lose children. Because why? Because we are given comfort by God in tragedy so that we can comfort others with the comfort wherewith we were comforted. That's how the Christian life works. And so we look at, at 2 Kings 4, verses 5 and 6. And we read, So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. So I don't know how many vessels they found in their village, but they filled up all the vessels. And the sons were, were watching this happen. I don't know, but my guess is they might have thought their mom was a little batty, a little crazy, because she takes this little thing of oil and she keeps pouring it into jars and it keeps filling up jars. And then it fills the next jar. And then it fills the next jar. Like the widow who fed the prophet after the stream dried up. And she said, all I have is enough oil to make one cake for my son and I and then we're going to die. And if she had refused to serve the prophet, that's exactly what would have happened. But the prophet said, believe God now. If you serve me first, you will have enough to get through this famine. And that oil jar never went dry. So finally, all the jars are full and the oil is gone. Isn't it wonderful to know that God doesn't do a half job? He finishes what he starts. And he gives us the power to finish what we start. So if I can encourage the mothers here to finish strong, that God will give you what you need when you need it, that he loves you and he wants to use you mightily, and this woman and her sons were seeing this miracle take place. I can only guess at what happened in their personal lives as a result of this. 
because I don't know the end of the story. What I do know is that she was obedient and that God honored that. Can we look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 17 to 20? Matthew 14, 17 to 20. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded them all to do to sit down on the grass and put the five loaves and two fishes and look up to heaven. He blessed and great and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up all the fragments that remained of twelve baskets full. And this is kind of a repeat of the last reference. But I just want to point out in this story, when Jesus gave the bread and the fish to the disciples, I wonder if they were thinking, how is this going to feed all these people? But just like with the oil jar, every time they, they took fish out, there was more fish in the dish, so to speak. Every time they took bread out, there was more loaves in the dish. Because God always provides for us. One thing I've had to learn through this Christian life is that God doesn't provide early and He doesn't provide late. He provides right on time. I remember so many times when I was complaining about God's lack of provision and I would go out to the well my, my sister I never went out to the mailbox but my sister would go out to the mailbox and there would be an envelope in the mail and there would be a check and it would come right on time because that's the way God works and I'm thankful that he does it even when we complain because if he didn't then I would have been up a creek without a paddle so many times. But I'm thankful and agree with the psalmist that I'm grateful that he remembers that I am dust and that he loves me anyway. A great preacher closed his sermon with an earnest and eloquent gospel appeal. Among the score or more who responded was a woman of wealth and social distinction. She asked for permission to speak a few words to the audience. I want you to know, she said, just why I came forward tonight. It was not because of any words spoken by the preacher. I stand here because of the influence of a little woman who sits before me. Her fingers are rough with toil. The hard work of many years has stooped her low. She is just a poor, obscure washerwoman who has served in my home for many years. I have never known her to be impatient speak an unkind word, or do a dishonorable deed. I know of countless little acts of unselfish love that adorn her life. Shamefacedly, let me say that I have openly sneered at her faith and laughed at her fidelity to God. Yet when my little girl was taken away, it was this woman who caused me to look beyond the grave and shed my first tears of hope. The sweet magnetism of her life has led me to Christ. I covet the thing that has made her life so beautiful. At the request of the minister, the little woman was led forward, her eyes streaming with glad tears, and such a shining face as one seldom sees on this earth. Let me introduce you, said he, to the real preacher of the evening. 
and the great audience, and the great audience arose in silent, though cheerless respect. O ye obscure toilers of the world, ye, ye patient doers of the word, think not that no one sees. I say unto you that a great cloud of witnesses will rise up on that great day and call you blessed. There's a verse in the Proverbs that says, of the Proverbs 31 woman, her children will rise and call her blessed. And when you're in the thick of things, when you're raising those little kids, it can be such a pain in the butt. I know that I was a pain to my mom. She can tell you stories. But she prayed for me and she did not give up on me. And I sit before you today because of that love and devotion. So I want to encourage you First of all, to the moms, I want to encourage you to stay in the fight to finish strong. Secondly, I want to encourage you who are grandmothers to continue the multi-generational legacy. We have a fallacy in our culture that says that motherhood ends when your children turn 18. I need my parents in different ways, but I need them just as much now as I did when I was a little boy. So please don't believe the lie of the world that we don't need each other. Our Christian culture is strong because God meant for us to be multi-generational. What did he say in Deuteronomy? Teach your children and your children's children. And he said in Titus, older women, teach younger women to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, and lovers of their husbands. And why did Paul say that? He said it so that the word of God would be not blasphemed. He didn't take a break from doctrine to talk about this and then go back to doctrine. No, the whole book of Titus is doctrine. Being a good wife and mother is doctrine. Don't make a mistake there. So our fourth and final point of the morning, a godly mother is rewarded. Second Kings, chapter 4, verse 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay the debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. So God, apparently, according to this passage of scripture, provided not just enough for them to get out of debt, but enough for them to live off of afterwards. That, again, is the overabundance of God of which we've been speaking this morning. You know, sometimes in times of loss, we, we think, well, how, how could it get any better? But God always has a plan. And there's an old line from the movie The Sound of Music. I'm sure it's not original with that movie. And it's not directly in Scripture, but I think the principle applies. When God closes the door somewhere, He opens a window. 
because there's always somewhere that he wants us to go, somewhere that he wants us to end up, some lesson that he wants us to learn. Psalm 84.11, if we can look at that quickly, Psalm 84.11. For the Lord is a sun and shield, the Lord will give grace and glory, no good thing will be withhold from those who walk away no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now there are certain people in the Christian quote-unquote heavy quotes who think that that means that it's right for a Christian to pursue wealth and that they should have everything that this earth uh, provides. And Joel Olstein even wrote a book that says, Live Your Best Life Now. John MacArthur famously said, If you follow his book, you will live your best life now. But if you follow the Bible, it's not about living your best life now. It's about preparing for your best life. Now, does that mean that it's wrong to have wealth? I don't think so. Then God uses wealthy people to accomplish his goals. But it's the pursuit, the pursuit of wealth, that is wrong. Proverbs say, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. If our main pursuit is money, we, we read also in the Proverbs that it can grow wings and fly away. So we need to pursue him and let him provide his provision is best missionary statesman Hudson Taylor had complete trust in God's faithfulness in his journal he wrote our heavenly father is a very experienced one he knows well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning he sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years we do not expect he will send three million missionaries to China but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it, God's work, done in God's way, will never lack his supply. This culture, and even sometimes this Christian culture, may discourage you if you've chosen to be a stay-at-home mom. But might I encourage you that God will provide because there's no greater job than nurturing and caring for your children. No mother will ever get to the end of their lives and say, I wish I'd spend a little more time in the boardroom. No, rather, they may get to the end of their lives or even before the end of their lives and say, I wish I'd spend a little more time with my children while they were young. There will be hard days. There will be rough days. There will be days when you want it to end. But ultimately, I don't think there will ever be a day when you will regret investing in the lives of your children. My hope and prayer is that you know the Lord Jesus and that you're passing that on to the next generation. But if you don't know him, what does the Bible say? The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's a promise from God. 
All of God's promises are 100%. He says, if you seek me, you will find. Not and the door will be open to you. Not maybe. I'm not going to get to the heaven, hopefully. I'm going to get to heaven because the Apostle John wrote, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. And that is my prayer for each of the mothers here and for the families as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to bring your word. I thank you for the story of this widow and how she showed faith in you and passed it on to her children. And now, Lord, I pray that you will be with us as we go our separate ways. You will make your face shine upon us and give us peace and give us quality time with our mothers this afternoon. According to your will, in Jesus' name, amen.